Crystal Simpson, and she's going to be talking about her road to recovery. Actually, she calls it her journey to recovery. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss this. Welcome to the Four Mics, 13 Teeth, One Ankle Monitor podcast, a podcast about addiction recovery made by addicts for anyone battling addiction. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Four Mics, 13 Teeth, and One Ankle Monitor. My special guest today is Miss Crystal Simpson, and she's going to be sharing her powerful testimony. Uh, you guys, you don't want to miss this. You want to stay tuned throughout the whole podcast because uh, her story really touched my heart, and I know that it will touch someone that's listening out here. So, Crystal, we welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for taking time out on your Christmas day to come and, and uh, just share your heart with, with the viewers. Yeah, it's not a problem. I'm, I'm so honored to be here. Okay, so we're just going to dive right in there. All right, so, Crystal... Tell us a little bit about your childhood. I know that when I was reading through your uh, testimony uh, that you sent to me, boy, I was like, wow, you know, she's really been through a lot of things, you know. Um, I know that you said that your mom had passed when you were relatively young and your father was in prison for manufacturing. How did that affect you at such an early age? Um. See, when my dad was first put in prison, I was only around 10 or so, and he spent three years of his life in prison for that. And my mom passed away right as he was getting out. So when I first found out about my dad, it didn't really affect me that much until I realized he wasn't there, and that affected me a lot. I just really wanted my dad a lot, and he wasn't there. But whenever my mom passed, it was a kind of a sense of feeling like, you know, what am I going to do? What, how, who's going to take care of me? What, where am I going to get money? You know, stuff like that. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to, you know, your dad not being in your life because, you know, of course, I've shared my story on here many times about how my father left it too. And, you know, I didn't see him until, uh, you know, I was older and then he passed away from liver cancer. So I totally understand how uh, that affects you emotionally and the, the pain that you go through of losing a parent. Um, so you said that your grandmother is the one that took custody of you. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so how was it with her? Was she like one of, um, uh, like, you could do whatever you wanted to do? Or was she more of a, like a strict disciplinarian in the house? In certain areas, she did require um, me to be well-behaved and stuff like that. She was a very loving person. She was like, one if you could ask anybody, they'd say she was the sweetest lady. You know, she was a good cook. She took really good care of me. But when I got up to the age of 15 or so, she was pretty lenient, and I kind of just did what I wanted to do. So you would say that at age 15, that's kind of when your ex drug experimentation started? Yes. So let's talk about the first thing that you tried. I started to experiment with um, marijuana, and uh, I had some friends that actually tried to steer me in the right direction, like, no, don't do that, you know, and I didn't really listen, and I continued to, you know, try on my own. And then once it got so far, everybody else, that the people that had influenced me to do it in the first place, they were like, oh, you know, whatever, you're doing it already. I guess we can all do it together. So, 
as like strength in numbers is <laughs> what you think. <laughs> you know, because really, honestly, you know, that's the way it was with me. Like, you know, I didn't want to do dope alone. I'd rather do it with other people because then it made it less like I'm less culpable yeah. if there's a whole bunch of people involved in it. But um, it's that's just the stuff that we tell ourselves to rationalize something out. But how old would you say that you were? I think you said you were in high school. So this started at the age of 15? Yes. Okay. And so by the time you were in high school, how had your addiction Progress. So you went from marijuana to what would be your next drug of choice? Um, so um, everybody tries alcohol when they're young, you know, pretty right. much, I, I assume. But everybody around me did. So I chose alcohol a lot of the time. But I, I had in high school, I had pretty much graduated to pills. And I was I didn't really like pain pills, but I really liked Xanaxes. So I took a lot of Xanaxes. So like. Were you prescribed Xanaxes, or did you just, like, buy them off the streets, or, or how, did, how did you get them? Um, I, was I mean, with, no names, but... I was, I was with a guy. I had a boyfriend, and uh, I think that his mom had a prescription, and that's how we got them, and he, he supplied me with, with bags of them, so... Yeah, girl, I remember, boy. I remember when I was on, well, I've been hooked on everything known to man, but pills was the worst thing for me because, like, I had to have pain pills. You had to have uppers. You have to have downers. And then it got so bad since before, you know, the, the pharmacies could hook the computers up, you know, and tell that you got, you know, you, you just got this last week somewhere else. So uh, before that, uh, I was able to keep a calendar. And, okay, I went to the pharmacy on this day, and I was able to get this, and I can go back on that day. I had like five or six daughters. It was like a full-time job <laughs> trying to to keep up with that. And then when I couldn't get it, uh, you know, I would buy it off the street. And so uh, that's why I was curious to know, like, you know, at, at such an early age, how was you able to to, to get the Xanax because a lot of kids are raiding their parents' medicine mm-hmm. cabinets yeah. and they don't even realize it. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Um, okay, so how did, okay, so you went from weed to peel well, Xanax and then I know that you told me that eventually that led into using meth. Describe that situation and how that came about. Um, I had a a lot of my family that were on meth for a long time, and it was sort of everyone, my mom and dad and my aunts and her kids and stuff like that. So I was around it a lot, and I was totally against it. But I found out that the Xanaxes kind of made me careless, and so I would take the Xanaxes, and then I wouldn't care anymore, and I would just try it. That's Mm -hmm. how it happened. Okay, so at what age at that time would you say that you were when you first tried meth? I'd say 17 or 18. Okay, and so what was the catalyst that, that uh, or what changed to where you were then started using, from going from smoking meth to using a needle? It, go through that process with me. Okay, so a while went on and I did smoke meth and... Snorted, mostly snorted, but um, I had got hooked up with some people in uh, Dallas, Georgia, and I was there, and I would just come to their house. It was actually kind of rude. I would just come to their house whenever, and and I thought it was okay, and um, I think they got tired of me, so I met a girl up there, 
And uh, I took her back home with me. And, you know, I didn't, I knew we were all, we were all doing drugs and stuff together. So I knew she was on drugs. I didn't know it was this serious, though. I didn't know that's what she was doing. So we hung out and it was close to my 21st birthday. So we were partying. We were doing a lot of stuff, weed and everything else. And I think we did a little ecstasy for my birthday. But um, I found out she that's what she was doing because she, she would go to the bathroom a lot. And I was like, what are you doing in there? You're like, what are, you've been in there forever. Like, what are you doing? And so she started to, and I don't know if she did this on purpose or if this is just how it happened, but she started to make me feel jealous that she was better than me or that she was you know more mature than me or on a different level and so I got mad eventually and I was like well I'm gonna be on that level too and that's when I started and I started experimenting with myself and um I got into a wreck and I went to jail and they took my blood like because I had DUI Mm -hmm. so when they took my blood it looked as if I was already doing it. So I went to a guy and I was like, look, see, I'm already doing it. And he did it for me. And that's how it happened. That's when it was my first time. So he, this guy injected you for the first time. Yes. And so after that, how long did that last? And did you start injecting yourself? Okay, so he, I didn't stay with him. I didn't stay there at all. And I left. And I'm type of person. I learned how to do things on my own because I always heard that you're not supposed to stick your arm out to people. That's very dangerous, and people can get hurt like that if you don't know what, what's getting put in you and stuff like that. So I was always told that, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it myself. So I started I, – I, it was easy for me to get my hands on what I needed because the man that my grandmother was living with was a diabetic. So it was easy for oh. me to go to the fridge and get what I needed. Okay. And, you know, we've had lots of people on here telling their testimony about – using needles because they had gotten to that point to where people were injecting them and then you know you're in a dope house and and then you start sharing needles with people and then all of a sudden when you start getting clean you start figuring out you know through uh you know lab results and stuff that you've got hepatitis c or you've got all these things going on with you like liver enzymes off the chart and stuff like that um and so that's when reality really sets in of, of of how dangerous it is to to use a needle, share a needle, or let anybody inject you with a needle. Like, you don't need to be doing it in the first place, but I'm just saying that's highly dangerous. And so how long would you say that you you continued injecting yourself before you just got fed up with that? I think a couple years and people that I would go around to their houses and stuff kind of got fed up with the heat that I was bringing and stuff like that, you know. And so they pretty much would leave me alone and uh i got tired of being alone to be honest with you people just leave you if they don't if they don't feel comfortable around you and that's how the game goes they just they're okay with leaving you they don't care about you you know yeah, I mean, the dope game takes no prisoners for real. And if you think you got you sitting there right now and and if you're getting high with a bunch of people and you think they're your family and they're your friends, they're not. And they don't care. They do not care because you're doing the same thing that they're doing. You try to get clean and see who'll talk to you. Yeah. That's very true. <laughs> In my case, not nobody. Okay? They go the other way. And that's that's okay because you know, it is what it is. 
Okay, people that really care about you are going to give you the truth. They're going to give you the truth and love, and they're going to help you to take those steps to gain uh, gain your life back. So at the age of 23, I believe you told me that your whole world changed. So what happened when you were 23? I was at rock bottom. I, I met a guy, and we went through with some things, and I came out with my son, and he's what changed my life because I had it in my mind. I'm going to change for him. We're going to have a good life and, and all this stuff. It didn't come out like that, you know, at first because when you get so far into it where you're using needles and stuff, it's a hard road back. Yes. And it takes some time, and people get encouraged to do the right thing, and you can get ahead of yourself, and you just have to take time to heal, I think. And that's a lot of people's problem is they don't take the time to heal. Or, or you're absolutely right. Or they don't even know why they're doing the drugs to start with. Yeah. You know, but you and I can look back over our lives and, and realize that there were some root causes under there. I mean, you've had a lot of trauma in your life, Crystal. Yeah. Like, I was reading your testimony, and I was like, my Lord, like, God bless her. You know, you've really been through some things. And so, what's do you have custody of your son now, or... How was that? Um, everything is really good with our relationship. He's with me a lot of the time, and I just got great news that he's going to be spending the summer with me. Okay. So as far as right now, we're just waiting on him. Since he's been with them since he was born, we're waiting on him to be prepared to make the change over to a new home and a new school and all that stuff, and that's a lot for a 7-year-old to, to you know take in. So we're just waiting for him. We're ready. We have a home and a stable um, income and everything that we need for to have a child. We're just waiting on him. You know, I think that is amazing that you're not just snatching him out of where he's been for seven years, but you're actually thinking about your son. And I know it has to be emotionally painful for you but the fact that you can admit that hey you know i'm doing this for my son and i'm 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 don't want to cause any more trauma to my son i mean that speaks a lot about because when we're in the dope game we don't care about nobody but us what we can get our hands on uh where where we can find uh what we need and the people that we need to be around to use we're not thinking about what's best for anybody else other than what we can get our hands on so that in itself is amazing you know that you're just you're taking it slow with your son to you know because he's already been through so much yeah there's a large part of me that doesn't want to do that that says oh he'll be fine he'll be fine but there's people in my life that try to remind me because i know that it's it's could be traumatizing and end up in his future you won't know it and it could be something in his future that uh, where he was affected by that so well <clears throat> take it from me when my baby girl came back to live with me it was not a piece of cake. It was like one of those, okay, I'm out, I'm clean, uh, I'm ready. And then some things were going on with her dad that um, uh, it, it was easy for me to just go and snatch her up and bring her back. But let me tell you, she just went from trauma to trauma. And so I got the majority of the backlash of that. And it took uh, probably the better part of two years to rebuild trust, to rebuild a relationship with her. So, I mean, 
I have mad respect for you for thinking of your son and and allowing him to go through his process and and heal and give you guys time to heal. And so I know you mentioned in your testimony that you had dealt with some uh, type of mental illness at some point. Will you describe to our viewers what you went through? Yes. So um, when I got clean, and I don't know if it was from the drugs or if it was something I just kind of developed from the trauma that I had been through, but... I was diagnosed with bipolar depression and, you know, I I think being around bad people and stuff like that can give you a little PTSD and you just kind of get like where you, certain things bother you and stuff. But the best thing that helped me, and I did go to therapy, a lot of therapy, and I was in inpatient for a week at one point until I got my medication straightened out. But the best thing for me was to learn that other people cope differently than you. And so that when something somebody's doing bothers you, you need to take a step back and say, they may be coping, that may be the way that they're coping with this. And absolutely try to understand that. Absolutely. And you know what? Like, there is nothing wrong with if you need help, and you you have come off drugs and you you need some help mentally there is nothing wrong with that i mean god gave us doctors to help us and therapy let me tell you something i am a big fan of therapy i still go to therapy yeah, i bet too. i bet my therapist will be glad when i don't come back i'm waiting on my graduation certificate <laughs> she's like this girl's going to come forever <laughs> but it, it helps me. It helps me every time I get to go and talk about, you know, even though I know it's been a long time, still there are still to this day things that trigger me. And until I feel that I'm ready to walk away from therapy, I'm going to keep going and I don't care what people have to say. Just like, you know, you don't care. You have to, you have to do what's best for you. What may work for you may not work for the next person. So, I mean, that's it's amazing that you can be honest and open about all that stuff. And so, um, so now, tell me what's going on now. Since so, you how how much clean time do you have? Okay, so this is weird and probably different than anybody else, but I don't have a date. I really just go by when my son was born. I when I was pregnant, I was pretty much clean. You know, it it is hard, and I may have messed up a couple times, but. In the end, when he got taken away, I I still tried, and I used a little, but I still tried to get clean. And so I have a good six or seven years that I've been clean. I'm just going to go ahead and say from his birth I was clean because it yeah. wasn't long after he was born that I decided maybe a year or so after he was born, I decided to knock it all out and just be clean, no cigarettes, nothing. I quit yeah. everything, so. Well, you know, the Bible says, you know, you fall down, what, seven times, get back up. You know, thank God for his grace. If it had not been for his grace, I wouldn't be sitting here and you wouldn't be sitting here. So did you uh, attend any sort of meetings or anything like that? I know you said you went to inpatient, but have you tried any, like, celebrate recovery meetings or, or argue meetings or anything like that? Um, a drug counselor did come a substance abuse counselor did come out to my house for a short period of time, which didn't last very long because at that time I wasn't 
ready for mm-hmm. that. And there was a lot going on. I had my grandmother there, and I was taking care of her at the time, and she had dementia. So I was in the middle of taking substance abuse classes at my kitchen table, and my grandmother was over on the couch trying to get up, and I knew she can't get up and walk. So um, it, I did eventually quit that, but I end up going to places like Holy Grounds Church in uh, Carrollton. They're good. It's a good little group to go to, and I've been to a Celebrate Recovery in Widawi. I've kind of been around to a lot of them, and, you know, it's just different places do it differently. I've liked some of them, and some of them were not so great, but uh, I think it's good to have some support and people that are willing to share their stories and let you share theirs, yours. Well, Crystal, we would love to have you here at Celebrate Recovery. We meet every Sunday at 3 o'clock, and we have food. We have fellowship. uh, We have small groups, large groups. We also have a family support group. So it's not we're not just, you know, catering to the addict, but we want to bring their families in so that they can have some sort of support and safety net, a safe place that they can come and talk about these things. And so we meet every Sunday at 3 o'clock here at First Baptist. Church in Hogansville, Georgia, and we are more than a meeting. We are family. So I know you you just recently got married not too long ago. So tell me some of the wonderful things that God is doing in your life now. Um, it was hard for me at first because being with toxic people, it's hard to sit there and accept this person is actually caring for me. It's not a joke, you know. It's not a a sick joke that somebody's trying to play on you because they don't really care about you. It was hard for me at first to accept that. But God has helped me to accept the love and learn how to love again. And I took a lot of time to myself when I was taking care of my grandmother. I took a lot of time alone to love again and to love myself again. And so God has really made a difference in that area in my life. That is so amazing. And I want to tell you, when I got through reading her testimony that she has sent me a brief summary before we um, did the podcast today, when I got through reading her testimony, this scripture came to my mind, and I told her about it before we started the podcast. It's Revelation twelve eleven. Okay, and I'm going to read it straight from the Bible. And they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. You know what? Tell your story. It'll help you overcome. It'll help other people overcome. Uh, a lot of people don't want us to step out. There's some type of stigma attached to addiction. But let me tell you something. I run into people every day that you would never suspect were addicts. I was just in Carrollton last week and was talking to a lady in Starbucks. And to look at her, you would have thought she's probably a doctor's wife or, you know, very high class lady, but she was very open with me about being an alcoholic. You never know how far your story is going to reach. So Crystal, just look into that camera there and speak to our viewers and just give them some advice from your heart. If they're sitting there thinking about putting a needle in their arm or if they're sitting there thinking about, you know, taking their life, you know, what would you say to that person? There's no reason that you deserve this and that you need to take the steps and the time that it takes for yourself to heal and Don't make any excuses and don't put anybody else before you because this is for you. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Crystal, for being on this podcast, girl. I just need a hug. We're not ready. <laughs> I love you. She is so precious and so brave to come on this podcast. Let me tell you, it is not easy to come on here and to share your story. Uh, but we do it for the glory of God and to bring other people in and tell them we recovered and so can you. And so we will see you next time. And in the meantime, God bless. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful day in Jesus' name.